0: Welcome to the Rethink Energy Weekly podcast with me, Peter White, and our intrepid analyst, Harry Morgan, and Andres Swanton. First thing I want to talk about is um, Xi Jinping addressing the UN uh, in quite a stately way, although I listened only to the translation. the talk to the UN General Assembly in New York, and he said he's going to hit carbon neutrality by 2060. That's the first time China's put a date on this already people are pointing out that because china has 28% of global emissions that that if it does it on that day it will lower global warming by 0.3 of a degree on its own because it's so much of the uh, of the emissions what do we think here i mean is this uh, was this inevitable did, did they he had to do this donald trump's presentation to the un was just a series of I've done this and I've done that, aren't I clever? And China's horrible, which was I felt was almost embarrassing. Did anyone else listen to these um, videos?
1: I haven't listened to them yet, although I probably will.
0: I mean, do we think leadership here? The thing is about leadership, we should be thinking of China as the leader of the renewables market. And the only voice against it is America saying, oh, but look how much pollution they have. I mean, the moment they they get tied into this type of promise and start, we start seeing it in policy. It's just going to it's going to take control of this uh, industrially. Andreas, so you put out numbers this week for solar growth in the quarter. China at the top.
1: Well, yeah. In terms of raw additions, it's it's at the top, and of course, China has by far the biggest installed base. So it's still coming along very quickly. And uh, last year they installed 30 gigawatts. This year they might install 45. So they've bounced back from their low point.
0: That would put them up by that 2016 figure, which was 44, I think it was 2016. It's been kind of coming down since then.
1: Maybe this is partly because people... It'll partly be coming along in the last quarter because it's the last year for utility scale incentives. Um, But it's interesting that Xi Jinping makes this, um, this promise Uh, When China is right now ending, it's it's reaching grid parity for its renewables. And um, batteries are becoming a big thing in China. Um, Hybrid projects, all of that, it's looking so much more mature.
0: It's interesting on the battery forecast, we put China in a strong position and eventually overtaking America. But but most analysts have have completely ignored uh, energy storage in China as if it's not even there. And Wood Mackenzie put out a forecast where they almost didn't even mention China. Um, I I know that America's growing great guns and doing a lot there, but it's it's clearly energy storage is going to happen in China.
1: They must be very tempted to just use their existing coal capacity because it's quite young. It's not like these countries where the coal plants are 30, 40 years old. They 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 only use half of their coal capacity, don't they? So it's almost impressive that they're willing to resist that.
0: Harry, why do they? Why do they do that? Why do they just use half the capacity? Surely it's it's a, a cost thing.
2: Yeah, it's very much an economic thing. I think in China, in terms of why they're not using coal, the cost of renewables once they're installed is just going down and down. Um, we're seeing through projects in places like Mongolia that they're going to be able to import more energy from places with massive natural resource. Um, it's just becoming more costly to get away with coal as well. I mean, there's no carbon pricing in China yet, but it won't be long before international pressures mean that there is some form of carbon pricing. Actually investing in things like the labor and the employees surrounding coal infrastructure means that it's just not really
0: an excuse that any economy can get away with anymore. So even a controlled economy, centrally controlled economy is still a cost. It's exactly the same as, as in America or in Australia. It's still a cost. Um. Go the cheapest route. Yeah, absolutely. I think China is
2: uh, very astute in terms of choosing renewables and saying that this actually this is going to be something that drives the economy forward. So if China can build up a manufacturing lead as it has within the solar sector, um, it will just dominate, especially the sort of Asian economies in terms of the supply chain. Um, I mean, well, we'll see a lot of sort of democratization from emerging markets sort of becoming more energy independent that doesn't necessarily mean that China has to take a step down as a world-leading economy um, when it can just supply all of sort of the components for solar panels for wind farms um, and really move on in that aspect rather than staying with coal.
0: Yeah yeah. Now in, uh, in our solar coverage we don't really get that flavour of how much um how much various solar efforts Rely on Chinese modules. I mean, we know that America um, make a lot of it uh, on their own soil. But apart from America, we know that India, you know, imports eighty percent of its uh, its modules from from China. But we don't we don't have a feel for the rest of the world. Uh, pretty much the European market for making solar panels is dead. So we must import nearly all of them.
1: And there's also the issue that modules are sort of the completed product. But then you have all the smaller scale stuff like wafers and cells, so you could be making your own modules using imported components.
0: Okay, but most of the wafers are made in, in China as well. Let's just change tack for a second. Um, Harry, we, we, we kind of did a no smoke without fire piece on Nikola um, uh, last week, and then the CEO stood down this week. You, you did a piece on that. What was, what's your thinking around that?
2: Well, it was surprising, I think, to see Trevor Milton step down as a sort of co-founder of the company. He's sort of been a bit of a maverick, um, certainly a big personality. I think he considers himself a bit of an Elon Musk um, and hoping that Nikola can become the next Tesla, as sort of everyone seems to dub it as. But what you can see through these sort of big character CEOs is that they do really drive the stock price. Um, I mean, we've seen it through Elon Musk's tweet history. You don't have to go too far back to realise that. But um, I think for Nikola, at a point where it's seemingly in quite a tumultuous decline... Trevor Milton stepping back might just see it sort of move forward more sensibly, and might mean that investors start
0: taking note of the actual fundamentals behind the company. Well, not the fundamentals because it's got no revenue. What you mean is the actual events. You know, does it deliver on time? Is it? Is how far ahead is it in uh, in in um, hydrogen uh, uh, trucks? Yeah, I mean, in terms of fundamentals, obviously you can't analyse it technically yet.
2: There's not actually any. Um, There are some demonstration projects, but not many, so it's hard to sort of analyze whether or not all of its promises are true. But when you've got companies like General Motors, Bosch, Iveco, staying with the company despite all of the allegations in the Hindenburg report that we talked about last week, it means that the the outlook for the company must be strong in some sort of technical sense. I mean, these companies have a vast experience in engineering um, and they're not going to back a dead horse, really.
0: I don't know. I yeah. I mean, that's why I, I I'm looking for reassurance there. I mean, I I lived through Enron, and and was always telling you how uh, clever and wonderful the people at Enron were, and it turns out that it was all uh, it was all fake. Um. So I'm just uh, well. We're getting revenues here in 2021, aren't we? And then proper revenues 2022. So between now and then, it's down to what investors think. Uh, that happens to the share price. It's, so it's really about messages from the company about uh, dealing with companies like General Motors.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's aiming for 1 billion in revenues for 2023, which is a huge thing considering it's on zero revenue now. Um, the key thing that we, we're thinking that we need to look at now is this deal with BP that's been sort of floating around the rumour mill. Um, essentially, BP and Nicola are reportedly in discussions around building hydrogen refuelling infrastructure in the US. Uh, which would be a massive project, really, especially considering Nicola's route to market is very much based on sort a of route-by-route approach of leasing trucks um, on certain routes between cities.
0: So if BP did that, effectively, they would also have a partnership with General Motors?
2: Yeah, in essence. Um, and I think the interesting thing is that BP have, while well, we're expecting the BP deal to be announced this week, just because it's been delayed doesn't mean it's necessarily been cancelled. If, if the deal does get announced, uh, I mean, just
0: be prepared for Nicholas' stock to pop straight up again. Um, yeah, but they don't want to announce it and they don't want to be responsible for the stock uh, rising if there was any um, you know, truth in the rumours. So they, they, they probably just want to sit back and just just breathe quietly and think about it for a week or two.
2: Yeah, I'm sure BP are just sort of waiting to see what comes out of the, um, the SEC's analysis of Nicola's public statement.
0: Right, okay. And and at the same time, um, we've got, in Europe, we've got Daimler. Um, you, you, you did another piece on uh, the Gen H2 truck due 2023. Where does that put them versus Nikola? Are they a year behind, two years behind? You know, can they make up the difference?
2: Well, it puts them in terms of actually pushing a, a commercial vehicle to market maybe a year or two behind. Um, it, which doesn't necessarily have to mean that it will lose out on any market share. Um, As we'll come to say in our hydrogen forecast that comes out this week, the market will very much be in a a pilot stage up until uh, 2030 and where where it'll take about 10% of sales before pushing to 100% of sales by 2040. Um, So it's more of how the technology develops at Nikola versus at Daimler over the sort of next five, 10 years.
0: it's strange that the uh, that none of the american based research companies have done any kind of forecast on um uh, they've done them on generic hydrogen but not on how it affects the transport sector and, and when you realize that that it's going to be almost 100 uh, percent of vehicles uh in certain categories um in that time scale you realize that it's there to be done i mean that's that's what, that's what we found when we, we started looking into it. Yeah, I think
2: the other forecasters in the market are being a little bit hesitant um, because they're unsure of the penetration of electric versus hydrogen trucks. Um, I mean, battery electric trucks, as we've seen, uh, da- Daimler announced one this week as well. Um, they will have some sort of presence in the market, but it, well, that, it will uh, be... It yeah, will... that
0: segues nicely onto the battery day piece uh, from Tesla, which I'm sure I was wanting to hear about. because. If you can produce a battery for half the price and make it half the size, uh, and then you, and then you change the equation on uh, on the range for cars. But what does that change the equation for when how big a truck needs needs to be before you have to go to hydrogen? Uh, I mean, is that a movable feast? So,
2: I, I'm very much of the opinion that the battery electric sort of gamble from daimler is just sort of hedging their bets in the short term i mean having a battery electric truck um is doesn't necessarily mean you're slowing down your r d in hydrogen it means probably the opposite i mean the the powertrain the same so it's just a way of cutting those costs
0: you you have to have a battery in the truck anyway to smooth the power delivery so it's just a matter of if you, to make a hybrid you just put a slightly larger battery
2: yeah and the big thing for daimler is that they're really going to go hard on liquid hydrogen which to be honest, has to be the future of, um, of trucking. It just means there's uh, less space taken up a vehicle, less weight, which means the vehicle have
0: uh, better range and, and a better payload. So right, So all that discussion, let's, let's take it back across the Atlantic to the Tesla Battery Day. Um, all the headlines that you read this morning are that it was a damp squid, that the stock lost about £50 billion, um, although I've looked this morning and the share price, half of that's been recovered already. You know, I get the impression where Tesla's concerned. There are a whole queue of people who wish they'd bought stock, but now think it's too expensive. So whenever there's a little dip, then the following day they, they just pile in and get themselves some. So I I, I don't I, I, I didn't see any of that about the... The whole damn squid idea was they, they thought that there was going to be something announced, you know, and they were going to reveal, a big reveal of a new battery that was um, half the price. but. Um, Instead, what we got was a was a really interesting. The, the, I mean, I've listened to um, so-called geniuses like, like uh, Steve Jobs talk in the past uh, at Apple, and they, they always kind of parade what they're doing, and they present it, and they're good speakers. Whereas Elon Musk comes across as these, this genuine person who's thinking it up as he goes along, and he's just solved the problem, and he wants to tell you how he's solved the problem him and his mates have solved a problem. And I think, it weirdly, that creates a whole credibility because it, all the, the kind of Tesla fanboys love this discussion of how he made batteries cheaper. And it, it, I think people misunderstood the discussion. What, what was happening here is they were saying, we have already made batteries cheaper. We've done it by doing these five different things. And you can read the article if you want more detail. Um, and... Uh, some of them we haven't quite finished yet and we're, we're churning some out, but the yields are low but in a year possibly a year and a half the yields will be high enough for this to be a, a, a product, but we're using all the product we can make and uh, at some stage we're going to start uh, building a factory or make a terawatt of battery a um, multiple terawatts of battery, terawatt hours of battery and um, uh, because we've squeezed it into a much smaller manufacturing space. We've, we've made so many changes to the... It, it just is a lovely reveal. I mean, i you know, as a technologist, I, I, I appreciated the lesson in how you go about um, uh, improving batteries. What I'm surprised about that is that we've already written about and we've seen every single thing he mentioned discussed by another company. Um, it's not wildly original technology it's being sensible looking at all the options choosing the right one doing some hard work solving the problem moving on to the next it's how you run a company uh, the, the, the weird thing is that he's prepared to show everyone this is how we do it um i don't think it was uh, fair that uh, he got um headlines um multiple headlines that that, that said he's a fantasist he can't sell He'll never sell 20 million cars in a year. We, we already said that that would justify his valuation, um, and he won't get uh, an EV down to $25,000 in three years, which which has always been his ambition, and and uh, it's something we can pin him to. Uh, you know that's a promise. It's been made, uh, and if it happens, I think it just shook up everybody's understanding of EVs. If this happens, $25,000 in three years. The numbers, and we've said this time and time again, the numbers that, that deploy globally are much bigger than everyone realises. We are on the edge of a precipice. We're about to fall over. The whole co- global car industry is going to be smashed when it hits the bottom because um, EVs are taking over and, and much quicker than we think. So you, you said um, 20 million vehicles, Peter. I
2: mean, I know that's what Elon Musk said in his speech, but. In terms of the rest of the market then, what does, the, what does this sort of development of batteries mean for the incumbents? Are they going to manage to hold on to their market share or will it be another range of new companies that come in and swallow them?
0: I can genuinely not see very many American giant car companies or European companies surviving. Um, I can see, uh, I mean, what, what, what he was doing here isn't, it, it, it's not rocket science. There are people, companies that do this. You don't see General Motors saying, this is how we, we designed this product and, and getting the engineers in and then revealing how they solved each problem. It's just not in their DNA that they would reveal that much. Um, but that's how they do it. You know, they, they worry every detail and they think out of the box and they throw enough engineers at the problem and some of them are given sufficient freedom and they solve the puzzles. But um, I think that um, there is a danger that China emerges with $25,000 cars uh, and starts uh, selling them to the rest of uh, Asia and cuts off a lot of market share from American and European manufacturers. And that Tesla's the only thing America has. Possibly, you might, you might say uh, that Rivian provides a, another route for, um, for, for um, electric vehicles, For but, but really Rivian is, is about partnering with a lot of car companies.
1: That's one thing I was curious about, is um, if the incentives are very different in the USA and Europe, let's say maybe the Republicans continue to win some elections in the USA, does that mean you could have a, a situation where traditional cars last a decade or two decades longer in the USA than Europe?
0: Well, you think about... So, so that that theoretically could happen. Uh, and and it, if Trump was in power, he would try and make that happen. But it doesn't work like that because if you happen to get sales in Europe, sales in Asia, and then suddenly uh, those governments say you're not allowed to sell that type of car in Asia and in Europe or even in California, or even in New York, then suddenly your, your, um, your base to survive on to um, offload, offset your R&D costs is a much smaller base. And suddenly it makes no sense investing in anything other than EVs because they become the common sense decision. Uh, and, it's a, it's, it's, and the size of the market for EVs will, will be global. So
1: if so, you're making an EV, you can sell it anywhere. But if you're making a traditional car, you can only sell it within particular markets. And it's just yeah. the economy of scale, isn't there?
0: Yeah, and then that's, that starts in 2030. People start banning it from 2030 onwards. UK has just you know moved from 2014 to 2030 uh, in the news today. And so um, in the run-up to 2030, anyone who's the wrong side of that decision, their share price falls. As their share price falls, their ability to borrow money falls. As that begins to fall, people um, in the street start to understand it and stop buying their cars. Their brand just gets tarnished. And they have to respond to that by changing. Uh, normally, it involves firing the CEO, bringing in a new guy, and, um, and trying to salvage what you can, which is probably pretty much where most American car companies are going to sit. I mean, thanks to um, Nicola. Uh, General Motors won't be in that situation around the pickup or around the truck uh, market. We'll see where it, 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 it fits in terms of uh, its late introduction of EVs into the American market. But uh, it will have um, devices, it, it will have cars in Europe. Um.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you said that sort of the plummeting value of these, in, these incumbents because you've also got the opposite with people that literally just announced that they've got uh, an EV company, in the, uh, an EV in the pipeline. I mean, the, the story we wrote about SPI Energy this week was actually absolute case in point of that. Um, it's just absolutely unbelievable that a company's stock price can grow 4,000% off the
0: announcement that it's entering the EV market even though it's actually got no basis to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, can you issue a, a press release from us saying we're entering the EV market because we write about it and uh, and uh, put the last bit in six-point, and right? nobody notices it. we just write about it? Our stock price can go up. Yeah, it, it is... It is ludicrous. It's a lack of understanding by the professional investor of what it takes to dominate one of these markets. And the smart uh, money is, is all coming at this from um, from mums and pots of America. There are people that drive Teslas invest in Tesla because they see the difference. Uh, and uh, the people in um, that, that live in uh, Wall Street um, tend not to drive to work uh, and they don't own Teslas. Um, they, they just don't seem to understand it. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we'll follow these stories as we go and we'll be back with you again next week. Thank you.